Uh, our lesson this evening comes from Malachi uh, chapter 2, uh, really chapter 2 and part of chapter 3. As we look at our second lesson, which uh, I've been told, why do we deal treacherously with one another? If you think about Malachi chapter 2, if you're familiar with that book, there's probably one idea that comes to the front of your mind. And that's what we find we're going to look at a little bit this evening as well. The phrase where God says he hates divorce. But Malachi chapter 2 is more than just talking about divorce. It's really the idea of, of the treatment of one another and our treatment towards God and how we treat God and, and things, of, things related to uh, that very idea. And so tonight we want to look at, I want to show, how, show the sin uh, that is wearisome to God and how we can avoid it because to me that's the overwhelming uh, theme in this section is things that are things that are weary uh, to God things you might say uh, as we say sometimes as parents you wear you're wearing me out uh, well that's kind of the idea here we find with God their sin was wearing him out and he was growing must say uh, sick of it and so we're going to be looking at Malachi chapter 2 beginning here uh, in verse 10, uh, in this first section I've entitled here, Rebuke for Idolatry and for uh, Divorce. And we look at Malachi chapter 2 beginning in verse 10. We find in verses 10 through 12 their sin and God's punishment of it. Beginning in verse 10 and looking at verses 10 and 11 in particular, he says here, have, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? While, why do we deal treacherously with one another by, by profaning the covenants of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. And this is a, again, many times we find the physical giving for the spiritual, and this is that they have forsaken God and gone after idols. This foreign God is a reference to uh, a false God, which really can be a reference in general to any false God. And he says here in verse 10, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? And the answer to both of those questions is yes. Why do we deal treacherously with one another? By profaning the covenant of the fathers. Judah has dealt treacherously and has, has and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. And so this first charge of being someone who deals treacherously with one another is their, their relationship with God. They're being charged with deal, dealing treacherously with God. An abomination, he says, there has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. Their sin was idolatry. They have gone after false gods. If you remember in our first lesson uh, last week, we talked about how they were going after false gods, how God would lay out charge after charge after charge, and their response was, in what way have we done this? And we find here they were those who have gone after a foreign God. Looking at verse 12, we find God's punishment of it. And he says, May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who, who, the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. 
The idea being the man who does these things is aware of it and knows what they're doing, but yet still tries to bring an offering to God as, as if they're trying to serve two gods. almost the idea of, of serving an idol and trying to serve God in such a way that it pleases God while at the same time he's still able to follow after this foreign god. He says that person there in verse 12 will be cut off. If a person is cut off, they're cut off from any blessings that come from God. They're cut off from any, uh, any ability to have God respond, hear and respond to their prayers. They're cut off from any help from God. They are cut off, as we saw this morning, from Him because of their sin, because of their choice of going after a foreign God. And as we look at verses 13 through 16, we continue with this idea of divorce. We saw it really in those first few verses already where God was condemning how they were going after foreign gods. And we find here in verse 12, it's going to be verse 13 and following. And looking at verse 13, it says, And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, For what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. And he's saying you're covering up, in verse 13, he says, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with crying. The idea is there's no joy anymore in the house of the Lord because of their treachery, because of their dishonesty, and because of how they're treating one another. We find in verse 14, he says, Yet you say, again, not much has changed. They still respond with, but it says, saying in what way? They say, Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness, which means he is aware and has knowledge of this between you and the wife of your youth. So no longer is he talking about the relationship between him and, and between them and, and the himself, God. But now he is moving more to, you might say, uh, just as important issue, but here you might say a little more closer to the heart as well by telling them they have dealt treacherously with their spouse. With whom you have dealt treacherously, there in verse 14, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. By covenant. We, covenant is also another word for an agreement. And a marital bond, a marital covenant or agreement involves the husband, the wife, and God. But these individuals have dealt treacherously with one another. And God, as we find here in verse 14, is not pleased by it. We find in verse 15, But did he not make them one, have a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit that no, let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. It's interesting how he doesn't have to get specific, but he just simply says, don't deal treacherously. Don't deceive the wife of his youth. Verse 16, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. There is no such thing as a divorce that does not involve sin. Any divorce always involves sin. If someone is caught in the act of adultery, that's sin. 
Someone divorces for an unscriptural reason, that's sin. Sin is always involved. Every time. If you remember, what did we say this morning separates man from God? Sin. And so those who are involved in things until they repent, that sin will separate them from God. He says here in verse 16, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. And then, like he does so many times, he makes a statement, then he elaborates why he hates it. For it covers one's garment, that's a reference to their, their spiritual life, their spiritual appearance before God, with violence, which is a reference to sin. It means to put sin upon you before God, and sin has to be dealt with. Therefore, he says, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. He does not want them to divorce. He does not want them to deal treacherously with one another because sin is always involved. You think about this section, verses just 13 through 16. I think about it as being just referencing heartbreak, divorce, and sin because those three go hand in hand, doesn't it? If there's treachery, there's heartbreak. And oftentimes where there's heartbreak, there's divorce. And sin is always there as well. Heartbreak, divorce, sin. Heartbreak because of the sin. Divorce because of the sin. And the need for forgiveness because of sin. These acts are wearisome to God. Looking at verse 17 and following, we move into our second main point this evening, how the coming judgment, because they are wearisome to the Lord. In Malachi 2, verse 17, through chapter 3 and verse 6, we begin first by looking at verse 17. We look at their wicked ideals. Maybe you could call it their wicked, their wicked uh, standards. Looking at verse 17, he says here, You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, In what way have you wearied him? You notice how that phrase just keeps coming back like a bad, bad apple, right? It's something that's not good for them to keep saying, Well, have we done this? How have we done this? And God continues to tell them how. You say, Yet you say, In what way have you wearied him? And that you say, Everyone who does, does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he. he, and he and he delights in them, or where is the God of justice? You know, I can't read verse 16 without thinking about how so many people want to, how so many people view divorce for any reason as being okay. Because verse 17, I think, goes right along with what he says concerning divorce in verses 15 and 16. Is it true there are those today who say, well, if you're divorced for whatever reason, it's okay, God will accept you? Yeah, there's plenty of people out there who'll do that. Just because individuals say such things doesn't mean that's actually the case. Notice what he says here in verse 17. He says, And that they say, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. They are doing what? They're excusing sin and saying it is righteousness. And he delights in them. Again, trying to say that God is pleased with them. Or thirdly here, Or where is the God of justice? So they okay evil, they okay what is wrong, or they say, where is, where is God anyway? Is God going to punish us for such things? Well, he most definitely will. 
They deny knowing how, knowing how or why they, they are wearisome to, to the Lord. They call what is evil good. They deny that any evil or wickedness is bad. And they even question the justice of God. Now as we move into chapter 3, we find that there's a day of, a day of judgment coming. The day of Christ coming is foretold. We know of this context, it's talking about him coming onto the earth, as we read about there in the gospel accounts. But we also know the judgment day is coming as well. So look at John, or look at rather Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even a messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says, says the Lord of hosts. This messenger who will prepare the way is a reference to John the baptizer who will come prepare the way for the Lord. He says, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, a reference to Christ, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So the messenger, John the baptizer, will prepare the way for Christ. And as we see next in verses 2 through 4, the question is asked, who can stand when the purifier comes because you think about much of the, of the life of Christ was spent calling people out of sin and wanting them to come to the obedience of the gospel and calling them out of hypocrisy calling them out of wickedness calling them out of darkness as you look at Malachi chapter 3 beginning in verse 2 he says but who can endure the day of his coming this isn't referencing the judgment day but referencing instead when Christ is coming to the earth and he's going to be preaching and teaching the truth, who can withstand or ignore or discard what he is saying? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offspring of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. So who can stand when he comes as the purifier, the one who will, the one whom will cleanse men of, of their sins by their obedience to the gospel? You notice, there, notice the words used to, to describe what it means to make a person a right in the sight of God. He is like a refiner's fire, verse 2, and like launderer's soap, the refiner's fire is for that very purpose of refining things, re removing impurities. Launder's soap is the idea of removing any dirty spot, right? That's the whole purpose behind it. And you will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Again, refining, purifying. And then he goes on to say he will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold. Purifying, purging, launder's soap, all the idea of removing their wickedness, removing their sin, and making them acceptable in the eyes of God, as we find there in verse 4. We also find that Christ will bring judgment. And I will come near, near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Now look, let's look at verse 5 by itself first. Christ will bring judgment. 
You know, so many of those things he lists there in verse 5 makes me think about the parables they are used to illustrate so many different points. The parables, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, where he deals with these same groups of people. He deals with sorcerers. He deals with adulterers. He deals with perjurers. He deals with those who exploit wage earners. He deals with widows and orphans and those who turn away an alien or a foreigner because they do not fear me, he says. The Lord deals with so many of those things, doesn't he? Actually, he deals with all of them and many more. You go through the gospel accounts, you see how many times Christ corrects situations. How many times he educates people how they are to treat one another. How they're not to be, to, to be oppressive to others. And even how, again, like the, the employer, the employee, he deals with the widows and the orphans. And the list goes on and on. And by doing so, he places judgment upon those who are in contradiction to his standard. Because God does not change, we find that righteousness will, the righteous will not be consumed, as we look there in verse 6. For I am the Lord, and do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. That small remnant, that group who are faithful to God, will not be consumed. It's interesting to think about how many times the Lord educates people, to put it in a very broad sense, throughout his time on the earth. Approximately three years, which isn't even really that long, is the time of his ministry, I should say. And all the teaching he did in three years, the things he taught, the things he corrected, the situations he used to illustrate valid points for us to consider even still today. On and on he brought judgment and purified those who would be willing to listen to his words and be obedient to God's will. Let's look at some lessons for us today. Our first lesson is that divorce always involves sin. Malachi 2 and verse 16. It always involves sin. He says there that he hates divorce for it covers one's garment of violence. We understand as we live in the New Testament age and under New Testament law, Matthew 19, 9, the one exception for divorce, unfaithfulness to one's spouse, well, doesn't mean the Lord hates divorce any less, does it? It doesn't change what God said back in Malachi. He still hates it. Why? Because sin is still involved. Sin is still involved. Deceitfulness is still involved. Treachery is still involved. Heartbreak is still involved. And on and on it goes. He hates divorce because it covers one's garment with violence. The effect of divorce is beyond just the spouse who has been betrayed it goes much further than that, doesn't it? We all, I'm sure I can, I think I can actually say that we all know those who have been divorced or, have, or who have uh, divorced their, their spouse or been involved in a divorce and how it has affected others, how it's affected their children, their grandchildren, their aunts, their uncles, all those things, the list goes on and on, how it even affects their employment with their company sometimes. Divorce affects everything. Whether it's justified according to scripture or not, it still affects everything. And see, we want, we want to be those to do our very best to avoid those situations, to avoid that heartbreak. 
God exhorts or encourages man not to deal treacherously or unfaithfully with one another. Our second lesson this evening, this, I don't mean this to say this is the only two we can come out, come away with, but verse 17, as Malachi 2, verse 17 reminds us that God is wearied by those who try to justify evil. He does not give in. He does not give in to their justification. I'm sure we all can turn on the news and find examples of individuals who try to justify wrongdoing, try to justify the hurt of others. We can give plenty of examples of it if we wanted to. There's no need. We all see wickedness justified or tend to be justified by others. It doesn't make it right. Just because someone is louder than someone else or more people say it or it's been said longer than other things doesn't mean that it's actually correct. He says in verse 17 in Malachi chapter 2, You have wearied the Lord of your words, yet you say in what way have we wearied him? And that you say everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. You say it's okay to commit sin before the Lord. That God's fine with that. And he delights in them. That is, he has no problem with them. He actually still receives them. Or, where is the God of justice? God has no delight in those who, who do evil. He has no delight in those who promote or justify or condone evil or sin. God only sees good and evil. No evil, no evil is, ever good, is ever good in the sight of God. People sometimes will argue, it was, not everything is black and white. Did anyone ever really tell God that? Because either you are right in the sight of God, or you're not. You know, I've heard a lot of different things, and I'm not the only one that has, about a person's life, the things they have done, and the reasons behind it. But sin is still a sin at the end of the day, isn't it? Malachi chapter 2, divorce, it's still what? There's still sin involved. Even in Matthew 19, 9, as we look in the New Testament age in which we live today, Divorce, sin is always involved. Condoning evil and calling it good is still condemned by God. Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. When we think about those around us today, there always will be those who condone evil. We hear things like, well, they were born that way. You can't support that in any realm. Science, logic, historical, biblical, it cannot be supported. People will say, well, they just can't help it, or whatever it may be. They have a mental problem. When I don't say mental problem, I mean they justify their lifestyle by their mental problem. Sin is weariness to God. We must strive to avoid it. The wicked will be punished, and the willing will be purified of their sin. We think about this today. How are we purified of our sin? In the same way they were during the time of the apostles. By obedience to the gospel. Our sins are washed away in the blood of Christ. And we rise a new creature in Christ. And so we must ask ourselves if you are willing to do what is necessary to avoid being a person who is wearisome, a person who is, we who is weary to God. Do we wear God out by our actions? Does our sin bring him disgust 
Lord, do our, do our lives and our desire and our striving to be righteous in His sight, does that bring Him joy? We think about the things we see in Malachi. We see that their actions were not pleasant in the sight of God. He calls them out. They say, well, have we done something wrong, basically, is their idea, is their way of thinking. God doesn't say at one time, well, you know what, you have a point. God never said that. God never said, you know what, we should really upweight the way uh, we think about this. God never said that. No, God has called sin the same thing since the very beginning. A transgression of his law. Going against God's law, going against his word, will always be sinful. It doesn't matter what time period in which we live. It doesn't matter what culture around us says. Sin is still going to be sin. And it will still have the same remedy it's always had. Obedience to God and faithfulness to him. This morning, or this evening rather, as you think about these things, if we can help you in any way, if we can pray for you, whatever your needs may be, we're glad to do so. That's going to be saying, sing the song that's been selected. <laughs> 